Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wolf Podcast. Lucas Piszczek, flat cross to right! Dreamland for Borussia Dortmund. He misses the easy ones, give him a difficult one, and that's what can happen. Magic Marco Royce, 2-2. Another big roar for Sancho. Here goes Axel Witzel, who's got stronger and stronger. Water ball to Alcacer, and the flag has stayed down. Paco Alcacer! Viva España in the Bundesliga. They turned it round the Dortmund League 3-2. Hello all and welcome to episode 256 of the Yellow Warpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko as always and for this very special episode I'm almost sad to say that it's I don't want to say only Matthias Zug but it's just us two. Um so Matthias <laughs> Sorry if I was insulting, but uh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's okay. I, I understand. I know my place in the world. That's, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm married with two kids. I know where I belong. <laughs> um, yeah, our uh, Instagram expert, Konstantin Egner, is sadly uh, not here with us, which is a shame because there is breaking Instagram news yet again um, out of the Bayern camp, uh, but there is not no correspondence um of course we have to and will talk about Borussia Dortmund's um very uh, thrilling dramatic emphatic three to two win over Bayern Munich but not before I announce that we have two sponsors for this episode courtesy of uh, Pauli Nemian and Paul Pearson and I'm really sorry if I butchered your names but thank you very much for contributing on patreon.com slash the yellow wall and Matthias, I guess before we go into the, the details of this game, um, a more general question. Was this one of the best Bundesliga games of the last maybe decade, seasons? What, what do you think? Because I thought that ranks very high, but I can't tell where exactly. Oh, that's an awfully long time. I mean, over that. The last decade, obviously, you've had a few pretty good matchups between these exact two clubs. Um, I, I can remember, was it a one-all or a nil-nil with, I think it was Thomas Tuchel, well, maybe Thomas Tuchel's first year. I'm not sure, but it was like I always said, it was the most entertaining nil-nil or draw I've seen in a long time. Unfortunately, as far as spectacle, you probably have to talk about a 4-4 that happened last season. <clears throat> but uh, no, this was great advertisement, as one would say, as was said over and over again. Uh, for the Bundesliga, it got prime billing here in the United States, granted on Fox Sports 2, but whatever. Uh, but it was still on and got a lot of hype internationally. And that's exactly what you needed, you know, when, when you see certain leagues maybe being a little dull, uh, Italy, for example, uh, where Juventus is just running away with things, or France, which has kind of been a joke overall for a few seasons. Uh, this is, uh, it was fun to see and very entertaining, a clear tale of two halves. So uh, it was great. It was fun, especially given how the result was at the end. All right, so then I've I've a tale of two halves uh, written down as a note, of course, and uh, I don't know which paper wrote it, but um, there's someone uh, who who wrote about Favre's uh, lineup as Fat Tuchel. Um, what do you think about that? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm along with everybody that was kind of, it was head-scratching in one specific position, and that was, of course, I expected Delaney to start and not Weigler, and um, obviously that was a huge thing. Viga didn't play very well in the first half. He actually played very, very badly in the first half. And then when Dahoud and then later Delaney came in, it totally changed the match, but specifically Dahoud, who obviously I've been very critical of, but he had a fantastic match. Uh, got away with one or two passes again, but that's Dahoud. You know, you, if you don't risk it, you don't get the reward. But uh, that was, for me, that was the main head scratcher. And... I don't know if necessarily having Guts a start instead of Paco Alcacer, given the impact that Alcacer has coming off the bench in this match as well as others. Well, I asked you about Fatuchen because um, that sort of um, talks about the very first game of Thomas Tuchel. I think it was against Pep Guardiola where Dortmund got steamrolled 5-1 to at the Allianz Arena back then. And so uh, Thomas Tuchel just overthunk it. Back then, and I, I thought that maybe the same applied to Lucien Favre, um, because I can certainly understand what his train of thought was going into this game. Because Bayern Munich, as was evident in the second half, is when you evade their pressing and keep the ball, retain possession, then you will find gaps because Bayern just cannot respond well when you are past the first line of pressing, really. And uh, they play a lot of man-to-man -man coverage. And if you have players that can, yeah, shift the ball quickly from one position to the next, then uh, certainly spaces open up. And I think that was the hope, having Weigel and Witzel there, two players that are certainly equipped to do that. Now, the problem is... Julian Weigel is not in the form anymore to do that. You know, he is not the Weigel of old days. He is very rusty. And um, I want to say defensively, he is a liability all season already. And um, also the pair of Weigel and Witzel in my book doesn't really work out because they are too similar and uh, yeah, just occupy two of the same spaces. And Julian Weigel also just simply got overrun out muscles and, and all this and his uh, positioning is also just not very intelligent when it comes uh, to, to uh, being off the ball. And on top of that, I also don't think that Julian Weigel is um, that intelligent right now um, in his positioning when his own team is in possession because it's weird that he's lurking in cover shadows so often because it used to be one of his strengths that he was constantly on the move and pulling out of the cover shadow being available quickly for any given player and then to just pass the ball along and that's just nothing that we ever saw and um so yeah that was quite incredible um to to see how that plan backfired but as you already alluded to um how um, he adjusted and uh, why we're on the subject of Julian Weigel. There's one question coming from Gordy and he asks Weigel, whilst injuries have hampered him in where do you see his role on the Favre? Each time he has played, he hasn't been great. It just doesn't work besides Witzel, Delaney or Dahoud. Um, is he a backup now, Matthias? I would say yes. What do you think? I'd say right now he's looking like a future Stuttgart player. Um, that's, you know, in the sense of a good Bundesliga player who's just not good enough for Dortmund anymore. Um, it's a real shame because obviously Tuchel's first season, he was 
a revelation. He was amazing. Everybody thought, what an amazing coup for Dortmund to snap him up from uh, 1860. Uh, obviously, injuries, injuries, massive injuries have, have hampered his development further. He's still very young, uh, but right now, uh, Vitsa, Delaney, and Dahut are miles ahead of him. And I'll be honest, I don't think a lot of people would have said that. Uh, or would have predicted that at the beginning of the season if you would say Delaney is miles ahead of him, maybe Dahoot, but even then, I don't know, given how everybody had a pretty crap season last season. But no, he's definitely, he's a backup to a backup for me right now, and obviously for Favre. Yeah, I think he could work out well next to a player like Delaney. I think that would uh, work a little bit better, but also that would maybe be more of a defensive setup if you want to have a destroyer next to one who retains possession. But the problem with Julian Weigel is, and we have seen it last season, um, Anna Pitaboshi was playing in a position very high up the pitch where he just didn't feel comfortable. That didn't suit him. Then Anna Peter Sugar, he was playing, um, uh, yeah, a little bit more further, uh, further back and that suited him. But, we saw it when he came back from an injury and also in the last season, as I already mentioned. Julian Weigel is a player that needs quite some time to find rhythm to game form. He can't just, you know, be plucked into the starting 11 and, and just function. I, I think he needs maybe a series of two, three, four, maybe even five games and the trust, of course, um, to, to uh, blossom. And that's just not a given right now because of, uh, as you just mentioned, the, the, the competition in midfield. So, um, it's a sad time to be Julian Weigel. Um, also, I mean, after the game, Lucien Favre said how much of an impact Mahmoud Dahoud had and, uh, how he controlled the game together with Witzel. And, um, even more indicting, I guess, is that Niko Kovac said that there was a player coming on with Dahoud who had more, um, yeah, I guess balls, ball playing skills is what he said. So, um, if you, you and Weigel are listening to, to this press conference, I think that's uh, only going to beat you down a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I, I just hope for Weigel that, that something turns around for him. Um, I, I guess he himself the most because he is a great player, but, um, as things stand, not a great future. Now, um, let's shift our attention a little bit, um, to that first half. And, uh, Lucien Favre said it, uh, very well that he has watched a lot of Bayern this season and the first 30 minutes from Bayern were the best they've ever been this year or this season. Um, which I think is correct because I've seen Bayern as well. And what I found interesting is, um, the tactical setup by Bayern is that they actually mirrored Dortmund's yeah, system. It was a 4-4-2 by Dortmund, which you would expect, I guess. And then a 2-4-4 by Bayern, a very high pressing. Favre described it like a boomerang. The ball was coming back every time because Dortmund just couldn't hold on to it. Um, did you expect Bayern this strong out of a, out of the gate? Because I knew the first 10 minutes or so is where Bayern always looked bright, but that was really a half hour of, uh, Epic dominance, if it weren't for one Hummel's brain fart, I guess, where Marco Reusen had a good chance. And I think there were one or two more counterattacking situations. But um, did you expect Bayern to be that strong? I mean, we can expect them to be motivated, but it was really, you know, it, it was a show. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the best they've been. I think, I, you know, I'm, I've, I'm being an old guy. Um, <laughs> I've been damaged by Bayon for the, you know, a few decades now. So I'm always expecting them to come out all guns blazing. I'd say for me personally, the biggest uh, surprise was the way Ribéry played in the first half. It was like he went back in time 10 years and even Favre said he was playing, you know, crazy, but in a good way. I mean, he, I mean, he would press, he would run after everything. He didn't quite keep that up for the whole match, but in the first half, absolutely. And not to sound like a Bayon supporter, but they were, Dortmund also let them be that dominant for a while. I, I, I'd like to know what would have happened if Dortmund would have pressed them more from the get-go. Um, Favre also admitted that Dortmund could well, then be... It, then it would have just been what it was in the second half, I'm sure. Yeah, but then would Dortmund have also lost their steam after a while? I don't think, maybe not quite to the degree that Bayern did, given age and athleticism overall, a difference between the two squads. But, you know, Dortmund, Dortmund played into Bayern's hands in the first half and are lucky that uh, Bayern only scored the one. Ribéry, of course, had that kind of half-chance volley, which is being turned into a massive chance, which it really wasn't. It was a very low-percentage, difficult opportunity to take. But for all that possession, and yes, they outshot Dortmund, I think, 5-2 to two or 5-1 to one in the first half. Um they didn't really do anything with it. Uh, it was impressive to watch until you kind of got to that final third. And, um, you know, Zagadou again, and I remember the conversation on the last Yellow Wall pod that I listened to while I was driving between you and Constantine about who Finally should start. someone from the panel listening <laughs> when he's not on that. That must be a first. Hey, I listen a lot when, when I'm traveling. But you specifically said listen to this episode. So I made a point of listening to it in, in the right frame of time. And obviously you were proven right. Constantine was wrong. Yes, thank you. And I'm really, really glad you uh, make your travel plans around my uh, recommendations for podcast episodes. That is very nice of you, Matthias. Um, but I, I just thought that Zagadou would, would uh, be really good in this game, and I don't think I was wrong. Um, which just shows <laughs> what an awesome development he has, and uh, really every player that was playing well on that day, um, also Jakob Brunlassen, for example, they can just be very proud that, you know, such a performance for the ages, maybe from a Dortmund's perspective, uh, that they have been a part of this team. Because, um, you know, there were other players who, who weren't and might have been disappointed by not, you know, taking part in it. Um, but back to saying Dortmund let Bayern uh, play that way, I certainly agree. Because Dortmund also, at, at the start of the game, or well, first 20 minutes, I thought they looked very nervous. Um And, and their youth got a little bit to them. Um, nothing really worked out for Jaden Sancho there. Um, you know, he was eaten alive by, by Franck Ribéry, which of course turned around later. And, um, what I kind of liked was actually Mario Götze, um, playing in that striker role because even though The game did not really go as Dortmund had planned. I asked Witzel after the game specifically about that, whether they wanted to play on the counter as they did in the first half. And he said that was a definite no. 
but uh, Thomas Müller basically cut him off, which talks about uh, also about the uh, rückwärts gegenpressing, about you know the tracking back by by uh, Thomas Müller and and his um, pressure. But um, what I liked from Mario Götze in that situation is that he always managed to buy his team a little bit time and initiate counterattacks, even though they didn't really come off for Dortmund. Um, he was always trying to get the ball in behind that that line because the uh, partnership of of Hummels and Boateng is really like the the two let's call them in, in American football I guess you would call them safeties right <laughs> who would cover the backfield um, I mean there there was space available and it was a bit frustrating to see Dortmund being yeah a bit careless there. But I thought whenever he had the chance, he, he did really well. And uh, I thought he did not get a lot of credit for his performance, also just because Alcacer obviously upstaged him later in the game. But I, I thought, you know, his contribution was still of value. So I just wanted to say that because it, it was a very difficult moment for Dortmund. And he, you know, at least managed to create something and, and improve the situation. So um, I, kudos to, to Mario Götze. I'd, I'd like to follow that up because um, on the commentators, on on the US feed, let's leave it that way, uh, as well as the grades that Kika gave them, Götze and Brunlassen both got a very bad rating uh, and very bad evaluation. You know, they said Brunlassen needs to come off and Pulisic needs to come on, which would have been interesting if you have two right wingers on the left side, but whatever. Um to me, it underlines that too many people are judged simply on, you know, the chance creation or the goals or whatever. But like you said, with Götze, but also Brun Larsen, it was also their, their movement off the ball and their overall movement that allowed spaces to be created for others to utilize. And that is something that Dortmund in the second half did exceptionally well against Bayern. Um, and uh, the first half, again, it, it almost seems like a bad dream that thankfully didn't come true because it, it could have been bad had Bayern played out their situations a little bit more intelligently. But in the same token, uh, Dortmund, there were a few counterattacks. Obviously, the Royce opportunity was the biggest one, but there was another one where they cut it across and Sancho was at the back post and Noya was very aware and, and gathered the ball just before Sancho would have tapped it in. Uh, so the, like you said, there was nervousness. It just wasn't, it was a bit sloppy. I think that's the right word, sloppy. I think you even used that term sloppy with Dortmund's counterattacks in the first half. But Stefan, what do you think? changed so dramatically because it was such a huge shift between once the first half ended and then the whistle blew to start the second half it was like a completely different match what what could what did Favre say or what could he have said what could have happened in those 15 10 15 minutes in between the halves to make it that different. And also from the buy-on side, what, what would you speculate? Obviously, this is speculation made such a huge difference between the two halves right from the get-go, not 10, 15 minutes into the second half, but from the moment the second half started. I, I think 30 seconds into the first half, Dahoud wrestled the ball off Robert Lewandowski 
And that was a, a moment like in, in, in midfield even. And that was a moment that we have not seen in the entirety of the first half. And from then on, I kind of knew this game was going to change. Um, <laughs> what, what I've written down is that Bayern's, you know, approach has shades of Bosch and it was really, really risky for them to press as high as they did. And we all know by now, Lucien Favre said during the halftime, look guys, we uh, are lucky that we're only 1-0 down, but Bayern are done. They're empty. They have, uh, you know, they've shot their powder and now it's our turn. And, and Marco Royce after the game talked a lot about confidence, about Dortmund being too timid in the first half, not pressing, not playing their game. And in the second half, they did exactly that. I think... Favre just reminded them of their abilities and uh, basically pleaded to them to to just play the game that they usually play. And I want to talk about great tactical changes that Dortmund made. And there were certainly a couple of adjustments, but I think there weren't that many ad adjustments just from the get-go to to be worth mentioning. Um, what's worth mentioning is, for example, that Marco Royce played higher up the field than in the, in the first half, that he was um, more in, in the half spaces. This is, example, the, the position from in between the chains from where he scored the, the uh, second goal. But it's just a mindset. Um, it's just about, you know, going at Bayern, uh, Bayern getting tired, Dortmund... Um, feeling that they have the momentum and once Dortmund wrestled that control like Mahmoud Dahoud did they found spaces they could progress the ball all that which they they didn't do and, and Bayern had to track back and as soon as Bayern had to play a little bit deeper in their own half or even being pushed back horribly to their own half everything that's ailing for them has been exposed by Dortmund and uh, this is something I actually assumed to be seeing sooner in this game but um, we didn't really but it's just the, the 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 inability to defend as a collective for Bayern the amount of ball watching from the center backs um the positioning from Matsumis and Boateng and, and also just from, from Goretzka, um, it was just all odd to me. And, and a lot of things just didn't make sense. And there were huge gaps. Joshua Kimmich was standing, I don't know how high up the field. And there was just no compactness from Bayern. And in the end, that cost them just so dearly because Dortmund carved them open. I don't know how many times. So to answer that question <laughs> briefly, Dortmund just had had a different mindset after the second half. And then we mustn't forget um, there is this huge factor of having maybe the best stadium in the world um, because the atmosphere in that ground was just after the first half where, where people were maybe a little bit nervous. They, they just sensed that things were changing and it really pushed the team on. I, I think you can, can feel that in the, in the air in the Westfalen Sharon, it just vibrates in, in, in a different way. And Marco Royce, I think he said something like, you know, he was expecting the fans to, you know, up their game even one more notch for this one. And he said, without the help of the fans, this, this, uh, you know, great feat would have not been achieved. And I think he's absolutely right because the atmosphere 
during during this game was just absolutely nuts. And uh, when Bayern scored the second goal, you know, just seconds later, I think you can hear it when you are watching the replay, even that the fans are just cheering on the team again. It's it's just crazy. So, yeah, that was the, the big change, just Bayern being completely empty. And this is why shades of Peter Bosch, because he would just completely let them run and then there was there's no energy left. Bayern is just getting old, man, Matthias. <laughs> That's just what it is. Yeah, and you know, I always uh have sympathies for the geriatrics. Um being would well beyond that if I were semi athletic. Uh but I mean for me the difference was We've seen it a few times this season where Dortmund kind of the first half was slower and then just kicked it into not a different gear, but multiple different gears in the second half and and got it done. And I don't know if this match would have happened without, say, the Leverkusen match or the Atletico match, obviously not the last Atletico match, the one at the Westfalenstadion, where just the self-belief is there that we don't care, we can do it, we'll get it done. Don't worry about it. Don't panic. We have the confidence to do it. And obviously, Favre making the right personnel changes at the right times uh, makes a world of difference. Uh, I also think it's a correct decision that Pulisic did not play. Uh, and it was proven that way. Obviously, if, if the first half would have continued for Sancho or the second half would have continued in the same vein as the first half for Sancho, he would have made that that change. But he didn't need to. Sancho was electric in the second half, as everybody was. The thing, though, that we can't ignore is the story behind a Bayern player who came from Dortmund and was playing it there in their back line and said that he had... Yeah, got to spec yeah. specify these things. Yes, you know? yeah. Um, so, obviously, Hummels, who played atrocious, uh, I would say probably the worst Bayern player overall. Uh, he, you know, he admitted that he was sick, that he had the flu or whatever. And, uh, and what was interesting though was in the Kovac press conference after the match, because Hummels was asked, you know, what was going on or, or Hummels said, yeah, he, he, he said, said unsolicited, unsolicited, sorry. He had a good excuse. Ex exactly. He said, well, you know, um, I was sick and everything was kind of blurry. And I, I told the coaches that at halftime kind of implying that it was on Kovac and no, his he, no, team. No, we have to be careful here. He said he should have told the coaches oh, at halftime. Because, because Kovac, but Kovac said he did. See, in Kovac's press conference, he said Hummels did say it, but was checked out by the physio. The physio said it's okay, and Hummels said he's okay to continue. That's what Kovac said in his press conference. So... Now, you know, it gets into the whole, who who do you believe, Kovac or Hummels? Or is, is Hummels leaving out that detail of, oh, I did say something, but um, I and the doctor said it's cool. But now after the fact, I'm going to kind of portray it like maybe it wasn't cool. Um, maybe he thought he could do it. Maybe there was a level of uh, arrogance there to go, ah, I'll be fine. Or it's just, you know, as an athlete, as a competitor, most athletes don't want to be subbed out. You want to continue. You will try through any 
pain and suffering to continue playing. That's why you have concussion protocols to take that decision away from the athlete because the athlete will play nine times out of ten unless he literally can't walk anymore. Um, so it was it was just interesting. I think a veteran of Hummels probably, given that he got caught out already once or twice in the first half, maybe should have – that decision should have been taken from him sooner. But if what Kovac says is right – that the doctors checked him out and said he's good to play, and Hummel said he's good to play, well, then it is completely on the player and not on Kovac. It's just another one of those side theater stories of Bayan over the last few weeks. Someone replied to me that um, Jupp is would have not played Mats Hummels because it was clear that he, he had the flu. Mats Hummels would have not been on the plane or whatever he would have been in quarantine and um my opinion and i think i formulated quite clearly on twitter <laughs> because i think in the nfl we have a concussion protocol in the in the bundesliga obviously not but for Mats Hummels, we need to have an arrogance protocol i think because i don't care how desperate you want to play this game i don't care about your past you know you have the flu you will not be, doesn't matter what medication you have, you will not be at 100% in the game where you will need to be at 100%. It's a high-profile match, 99% won't cut it. And especially being Mats Hummels, currently 100% often do not cut it. So, having that established and Hummels saying he felt numb, blurry or whatever... um I just find it arrogant that he thinks he would not be the liability than he evidently was to his own team and Dortmund could have scored twice because of his errors. One in the first half with Marco Royce winning, winning the ball and then in the second half, one of my favorite moments when Jaden Sancho just uh, completely destroyed him in a sprint, of course, and then passing it to Alcasa who made a meal of it, but then Jaden Sancho just flopped on the ground, <laughs> which to me was a personal highlight. I must say, but back to Hummels, um, it's also just completely disrespectful to your teammates. First and foremost, of course, to Niklas Zule, who I think was at 100% and could have played. And second of all, to the rest of the team, because the message it, it sends to everyone is there's this guy in our team who uh, puts his own ego, his own interest ahead of everyone else, because I don't think there's another way of of reading these signals coming from Hummels. And I don't think that mentioning this publicly did him a service. I think me saying this and, and the, the public discussion, and I think a lot of people would agree with my, my assessment, is just more damaging and also weakens Niko Kovac because ultimately the decision to play him was wrong. And it's just, as you said, another sideshow unnecessary from Bayern Munich and... Uh, yeah, just too many coming out of them. I'm not complaining. I think it's it's quite hilarious, especially Mats Hummels, who um, inadvertently now has helped Dortmund, even though he was desperately needed for this club in the past two seasons. But now, you know, it turns out it's quite the service because Dortmund now have a really good centre-back pairing or trio or whatever you want. And uh, Mats Hummels is not there to ruin this. So, um, yeah, good luck at Bayern, I guess. So, Matthias, would you also say that this was an arrogant 
behavior by by Hummels, do you think he should have absolutely said that he uh, should have yeah just wasn't available for this game, or do you or can you at least sympathize with him wanting to play this game? I mean, I can. I have a little empathy left in me, but you know. Oh, I definitely can. I mean, he he became. His greatest years were at Dortmund. It was against Dortmund. Dortmund are league leaders. He is a locker room figurehead um, or dressing room figurehead to, to keep it European um, at Bayern. Absolutely. I mean, I know plenty of people that even at lower levels of, ath- you know, of athletic competition have played with broken hands or wrists or, you know, concussions or whatever, because they desperately don't want to let the team down because they feel like they're going to let the team down by not playing. Um, obviously, this is the kind of situation where you had talked about it. You can't leave it up to the player. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't go, well, you're Mats Hummels. You're a World Cup champion as a Dortmund player. Um, and... You know, you should play because you want to play. The The doctor says you're clear to play. You said you're clear to play. If he actually had the flu, and I had the flu for the first time in years earlier this year, I didn't want – I, I, it was as close to wanting to die as I've ever been in my life. And it just oh, – no. and it Bitter mad flu. <laughs> no, 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 no. But how – you can tell if someone has the flu, legitimately has the flu. It's on Kovac. It's on Kovac then to have the balls to say, you can't play. I don't care. But he doesn't because he's worried. He doesn't have the dressing room, I guess, respect that he should as a former Bayern player, a very decorated Bayern player, a very decorated player in the past who's achieved things, yes, with Frankfurt, but still, um, you know, that I think it's the... He doesn't know where he stands. He's unsure about the future for himself at Bayern and within the dressing room. And so he made the wrong choice. So I put way more blame on Kovac than on Hummels, because like you said, Jupp Heynckes would have said, um, no, you're not playing. Pep Guardiola would have said, uh, you're not playing. And even the much maligned Louis van Gaal would have said, you are not playing. Uh, you know, <laughs> you no, try the accent there. no, no, no <laughs> chance. Yeah, no, no chance, no chance. But Kovac is in a position where he doesn't know what to do. Um, but strong coaches who have a strong backing from the board and within the locker room clearly would have put a leader in his place. Um, because needless to say, a Jurgen Klopp isn't scared of making a decision like that. And I don't think Lucien Favre is scared to make a decision like that either, because I think to a certain degree, Lucien Favre goes, I've been around, I've done it, I'm old, sit down. And Kovac, like you said, made the wrong decision, but I will put more blame on the coach than the player, because players are competitors. Hummels is a competitor, he wants to play, even though he shouldn't have. Yeah, so so maybe let's uh, turn this around on on Favre because he was asked why did not uh, why did Alcasa not start why did Thomas Delaney not start, and you know all these questions obviously that that will come after the game, and to some degree even justified. And he said, well, it's rotation, you know. Um, even in this game, 
Favre says he needs to rotate, otherwise this whole machine will collapse. And uh, Alcazar has muscular problems. People mustn't forget that. And he needs his breaks. He just can play over full 90 minutes every now and then. Um, you need to be very careful with him or uh, he will be out for a long time, which you certainly do not want. And um, I just like this discipline that Favre has, that he just makes the changes whenever he can, and unless, of course, he has zero other options. But um, I, I think, you know, you need to be, I don't know, have courage, be brave or whatever, or, or just, you know, old and wise like Favre is with 61 years. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, next question comes from Ed Carbonwächter again. And uh, I like this question because I like my answer. <laughs> yes, it was a pretty close game that despite Dortmund's uh, second grade half, that could have easily gone the other way. Not the first close game this season. Are we overestimating this team, Matthias? No. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, I, we're not. Because they've shown it again and again, the resiliency to not give up and keep on fighting. I think the the biggest disappointment is probably the Atletico match. The second one uh, in in Madrid. But you and Constantine already discussed it in... in I agree with your assessment of it that it was kind of a, a weird one-off. Nothing kind of came together. And honestly, I wasn't too too bothered by it, given that, you know, there's a buy-on match coming. And that's that's the key. I mean, the chance of winning the Champions League is pretty, pretty slim. Let's let's be honest. Um, even though it's the most open Champions League in the last number of years, in my opinion. Um, but winning the Bundesliga, that's and I, I hate putting a preposition at the end of a sentence, but that's where it's at uh, right now. And they have that opportunity. It's a great opportunity. They want to utilize that opportunity. I do not think we're overestimating this side. I think there's even more to come from it as it matures over time, stays healthy. Alcacer can play more and we can see the depth and rotation. And once Diallo is completely fit and hopefully we don't even have to see Toprak on the bench anymore. Um, and Schmelza is fully fit. Uh, I just, it, much more is to come from. And so I think, uh, no, I don't think we're overestimating them. And Dortmund is a title candidate. And as of right now, the, the title favorite in the Bundesliga so, no, I don't think we're overestimating them. Yeah, my my answer to this question is also a clear and resounding no. Just because, as you just said, um, they're top in the Bundesliga. <laughs> That's the first thing. And also just, it's natural, I think, to have close games and, and be on the verge of, of losing games. And if you then somehow... You know, have the Houdini like you had in Leverkusen or against Augsburg. I think this is exactly um, the stuff that champions are made of. And uh, Bayern Munich have exercised that over years. They're not called the Dusel Bayern for nothing. Just because, um, you know, you will face adversity within games. It's not always going to be easy. You're not going to run over everyone every week. That's just not how this league league works. Opponents are just way too strong. And especially if you play every three games... No rotation in the world will uh, make you not suffer from that strain. So I just think it's it's natural. And uh, Dortmund 
having these results being unbeaten after match day 11 in the Bundesliga is, is to me amazing, especially given who they already played. Um, they already played against Leipzig. They already played against Frankfurt. Um, they have yet to play against Gladbach, of course, but, um, they have already a very impressive record. And so I don't think we're overestimating them. Of course, it's a young team. Dips can happen. Um, but I don't want to really discuss whether, you know, they are being overhyped right now because I, I don't think they are. And some, the next question comes from, uh, and Gozulu Matando, uh, Matondo, and he asks, are Dortmund now clearly the best team in the Bundesliga? And I think a four point margin would say yes. What do you think? Uh, the table, un unlike last year when Dortmund were at the top, um, after seven match days, the table does not lie at this point. Um, I think Dortmund are clearly the best team in the Bundesliga. I think Leipzig, Gladbach and Frankfurt are in the pack right behind there. I'd say Leipzig's probably better than those other two. And as things stand right now, Bayern or not. Um, I, I, for the, for many reasons, I, I yeah, <laughs> for many reasons. Uh, and I think it also comes down to not just coaching and stuff like that, but athleticism and age and squad depth. All of those other ones are younger more athletic and have more depth than Bayern do, but they don't have more, they're not necessarily younger, more athletic, more technically gifted, or have more depth than Dortmund does. So for me, Dortmund clearly the best team in the Bundesliga as of today. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, the season's still long and, and, and things like that can easily change. Um, I have one question from Ed Dortmund Indian who asks, uh, besides Bayern, are there any other teams challenging for the title this season? You sort of already answered that, but I think Leipzig certainly are. They are, they do have the best defense in the league. And I think that's always uh, something to reckon with. Uh, I don't know how long that run of, of Gladbach and Frankfurt will go on, but they look awfully, awfully strong right now. Um, again, these things can change, but as of match day 11, it's not just uh, Dortmund versus Bayern, but, you know, there are maybe four teams in, in my book that have a good chance to win it. Obviously, this season is still long, but, um, I, I like how the table reads right now, and I like that, uh, there's a lot of, um, tension. So, um, yeah. But that being said, um, Dragos Lazareshu, who was already on uh, the pod once in our uh, Borussia Dortmund fans from around the world segment, he asks, how would this team look like without Witzel? How crucial is he to our tactics and team mentality? In parentheses, fearing an injury. And this is exactly what I just alluded to. You know, right now, Dortmund look to be the favorites, but there are a couple of players that you cannot lose. And I think Witzel is one of them. So, Matthias, how would this team look without him? Um, I think they would still be at or near the top, um, but they wouldn't be as dominant or as comfortable. Uh, I don't know, it must have been about a month ago. Um, I put out a tweet. Twitter poll, you know, who's the, the biggest, most important signing of this season. Yeah, I think I had on there, uh, Delaney, Paco, Witzel, and, um, 
did I say Diallo as well? And obviously Paco Alcázar got the majority of the votes because he's scoring all those goals, even though hardly playing. But to me, it's Witzel. And it, he he is what Dortmund were lacking because he's he's a physical presence. He's a big dude. But at the same time, he's also extremely creative. I mean, he plays some passes that just take your breath away. And um, he, he did it again against Bayern. I think... If he drops out due to injury or just rotation, and this may sound a little weird coming from me in particular, but I think um, we would get 80 to 90% of Witzel by having Dahut in there. He really impressed me against Bayern. He's really impressed me this season. Yes, he still likes a Hollywood pass occasionally, which Witzel does not. Uh, that's why it gives him the edge over Dahut. But um, whether it's Witzel and Delaney then, or Dahoud and Delaney, I mean, those three guys, um, whether it's then Dahoud or Witzel, I, I'm okay with it. But clearly, he is the one that makes everything hum, in my opinion. Yeah, as people may have heard on Twitter, um, ESPN FC did an interview with Axel Witzel on Thursday, and of course I was present, and uh, Raphael Honigstein did like a quick fire questions, asking like a lot of things, which um, we found out the very revealing answer that his favorite drink is water. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but what I really liked is he was asked about his favorite moment in his, in his career, and Axel Witzel, without thinking for, for a long time, he said now. And uh, that to me said a lot of things and, and it's just, I guess, something that Dortmund fans in general want to hear. But um, he also talked about how he likes to be a leader um, and and on, on the field and he really explained that he is not a player that screams at other players, but he likes to be a leader by, by just leading by example with his physical presence, by, by making tackles and, and uh, just just the overall aura that he has and it's it's just amazing to see sometimes how he he implements that and um there was this was it on on, on thomas miller or Lewandowski? i can't remember but he had this one uh standing tackle i guess again where he just swoops in and and just you know slams the opponent to the ground by just you know inserting his hip a little bit and then separating the player from the ball it's it's just a force of nature sometimes and i think it was against uh flopendowski yeah yeah i i don't know what happened but especially in, in the recent weeks even more than usual Lewandowski is, is falling to the ground like every five seconds or so someone needs to check on him um but yeah it's 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 just amazing what what an important presence he has and um I was talking to Sebastian Kehl today um, because I'm, I'm writing a, a piece on, on uh, basically the um, relationship between Dortmund fans and um, the team. And if if you remember, um, you know, the atmosphere wasn't always that great last season because of performances. And um, what we also talked a little bit about is, is just the... Um, the the change of the team overall how they you know perform on the pitch and maybe not just about the the great dazzling football but a little bit more about you know the the aggression and, and players at least making the impression that they're leaving everything 
on on the on the pitch in those ninety minutes, and I think Axel Witzel pl is playing a huge role in that. So this is another aspect why he is so important. You know, he is maybe a secret captain as well, next to Marco Reus, of course, who is the very official and obvious captain of this team. Well put. All right. So if we talk about Witzel um, and and Royce being the obvious captain, um, is is this another breakout game from Marco Reus who? in my book, actually cannot have a breakout game, but um, the way he played, the way he urged on the fans also after scoring his goals, you know, the the overall body language, do you think he has made himself even more captain than he was before in this game? Absolutely. I mean, I'd have to say in the current 2018-19 season, I struggle... And maybe you'll correct me and give me a few names, but I struggle, struggle to think of a better German player at the moment, uh, given his goal scoring record, how he's playing, assists, leadership, all, all of those tangible and intangible qualities. Uh, Marco Reus is, in my opinion, obviously very, very black and yellow tinted glasses. Uh, best German player right now, and he's showing the, the, it. The, the only player out. this much in form maybe this season is Ter Stegen, like from an international point of view, but in the yeah, Bundesliga, yeah. certainly not. But also from, from from leadership and so on, I don't I don't think Ter Stegen matches Royce right now. No, and he won't at Barcelona. He he just won't. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he's like you said, it's hard to have a breakout game at, at Royce's age at this point anymore, but he's it's you know, I said Ribéry turned back time. It's almost like Royce turned back time minus the injuries uh, to in the beginning when he came to Dortmund or his last season at Gladbach, which obviously got him to Dortmund. Uh, he's playing the best football I've seen Marco Royce play in years. I think it's it's the overall package um, from, from Marco Royce that's the best that we have seen him because it's also just the, the maturity. I've said it almost every week now, but it's just impressing me almost every week um, how mature he is and, and uh, how he leads this team and how he talks about the relationship between the Dortmund fans and the team. I think this is very important um, that he puts such an emphasis and... I really like the um, interview you did with Thomas Henneke in, I think, the Stadion Magazine of Borussia Dortmund, where he um, talked about the rebuild a little bit um, and, you know, emphasized yet again that this rebuild has to come together with the fans, that, you know, building something at Dortmund does never just come from, from the team, from the 11 or, or, or like 19 players or whatever, how many you have. The, the roster, but but you know from the entire club and uh, Marco Royce being a guy from Dortmund understands this, let's say Dortmund feeling uh, like no other maybe, and of course he has a quality that um, I think can can rank world class, but also having the mindset and the understanding of of the club, what it stands for, how how it's set up, um, makes him even more of an MVP. Than he already is, you know. It's it's just amazing to see how, yeah, how 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 he yeah plays his role right now. And this game was maybe a microcosm of of Marco Royce, maybe just in a nutshell of 
him having setbacks, you know, how many chances he missed and then to pull off this volley from what was it 60 meters out um you know no chance of course for, for Neuer to keep it that was just amazing um he can't tap it in from two feet but he could do that <laughs> yeah but but you know there's this that's just his quality did you see uh Paco Alcázar then uh just um while while uh, Neuer hit the ground in frustration and then wanted to keep the ball how how he just ran past Neuer and then snapped up the ball with his feet and caught it That was like another of my favorite moments, but we have hardly seen it on any feed. I'm trying to find it. There was a GIF going around Twitter, but that has been taken down by the DFL already. But I'm trying to find this moment again. That was yeah, a beautiful it, moment. Yeah, it, well, it's symptomatic of both clubs, really. I mean, in a nutshell, it's Dortmund never give up and Bayern frustrated. That's, I think that summarizes where both clubs stand right now. Yeah, certainly also that Dortmund improved throughout the game and then Bayern just faltered. I think that in, in itself is a analogy you want to report to the police <laughs> because it's just so, so evident and blatant. Um, maybe we, we need to talk about the, the winning goal, I think, because, um, what Alcasa did there was very special, Matthias, if you want to take it away and, and, uh, maybe speak about how it was created by Sancho and further on? Well, I mean, uh, to me, what was most impressive about Paco's goal was your tweet um, referencing Milito. <laughs> uh, because, you know, uh, going into the Wayback Machine there, it just through his hesitation stutter step, I think one can call what he did, Uh, f and waiting as long a as he did, fake maybe with yep. his foot. <laughs> he he forced Noya to make a decision, and then went the other way. And but he always knew, he pretty much knew what Noya was going to do. Noya knew what Noya was going to do. He knew what he had to do as a keeper trained, uh, where to cover and how to cover, given the positioning and the dominant foot of the striker he's facing. The keeper's going to drop to their left, to his left, i.e. Paco's right, and Paco chipped it the other way over him, essentially. And that's what makes the difference between a natural, incredibly good striker and an average striker or somebody playing out of position um, that, that isn't really a striker. And it was uh, a small thing, but technically very, very difficult Also because uh, you have to realize this is Manuel Noya, the I don't know how many time world keeper of the year coming out at you, who's also a big guy. And you have to be calm, cool and collect enough to pull that off. I mean, it's, it's, it's a Panenka-like type quality to be that ice cold and do it as well as Paco Acasa did. I really love this goal and maybe when we do our um, season awards or whatever, maybe I will nominate this goal as goal of the season. I just like how, you know, it started with Jaden Sancho wrestling down Ribéry, uh, which was something that did not happen at all in the, in the first half and, and really also just spoke about how, how, how good it is. And then You had Marco Royce with that really clever back heel over to, to Witzel, who was on the, on the right wing. And that 
pulls Goretzka out of, of midfield and then there were huge gaps. And then what was exposed by Witzel was just how poorly positioned Bayern are. Boateng was standing really in no man's land. And I think it was Zulu then was standing even more in, in, in front of, um, in front of Alcasa, leaving this huge gap. And then Kimmich was, I don't know, he was by the corner flag of Dortmund or so. I don't even know where it was. But um, that really showed how Bayern lost his structure. And then Axel Witzel, you already mentioned it, sometimes playing audacious passes, but just hitting it on the head there. Um, I did not expect that from Witzel, having that awareness to to pinpoint it. And then I think what Alcasa did, I, I, I tweeted it out, that really separates the the great strikers from the good strikers because it's it's not a short run, but he was it was it Martinez he left in his dust I think it was right um just to to, to cross I think so yeah yeah to cross the path of the defender um to take the defender out of the game is already a really good move uh, you need to time really well so he in his mind had to basically calculate the route of the defender and at the same time whatever Neuer is doing and that in itself is already very tough and then as you mentioned this this little stutter step this 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 fake shot and then um yeah chipping Neuer with the calmness and collectiveness it's just frightening really and uh, shows what a player he is, and I can't wait for the news of of Dortmund signing him permanently. Um, and it's just a goal; it's just so well delivered. You know, there was no coincidence there. There was no funny deflection or anything. It was just pure, pure class, and this is uh, just a poetic, a beautiful way to win a game. I, I would say. And also a little bit kudos to Neuer, who somehow still tried to save the ball with his butt, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, was was quite incredible and shows why Manuel Neuer is such a good goalkeeper, but it still wasn't enough. You know, the ball just, uh, yeah, petered into the goal and it was just beautiful. And um, now, Matthias, it is your honor to guesstimate the amount of liters of beer that was flying erupting out of the yellow wall at this moment okay i don't know countless i have no idea no idea it was it it was pretty cool um it you know it was kind of the cathartic nature of this victory overall it's like now we can officially move past what the weirdness was that was last season i think that's all definitely behind us and with that strike, with the recruitment that's happened, and as as calm, cool, and collect, all the new characters really are. You know, whether it's Diallo or Delaney or Vitza or Paco Alcacer, even Brun Larsen, who you kind of have to throw in with that discussion. Uh, Zagadou, who, I mean, has matured by... I said, you know, Ribéry and Voice got 10 years younger from a maturity standpoint it seems Zagadou's gotten 10 years older while still maintaining being really really young and athletic and deceptively quick that's the one thing about him that always catches me is he's such a big guy you you fail to realize how fast he actually can move at times so it was it was a fantastic overall performance and I'm glad it happened at the time it did because I know there was a discussion 
um, over the last week or so, you know, where is Dortmund's form? Are they in a good form? Are they bad form? Uh, coming off of, you know, the, the draw against Hertha, the close victory in the cup against Union Berlin, the lost Atletico in the Champions League. Where does Dortmund sit with form? Well, I think, I think Dortmund answered that question rather emphatically. Yeah, with a clear and resounding both bad form and good form because it was a tale of two halves. But in the end, they, they come out victorious, of course. So, Matthias, what are the implications of this win, of course? Um, do you think that now it's Dortmund's to lose? Do you think also they have a responsibility to win the title? I, I mean, I, I sound a little bit pathetic now, but I, I think it's still a question worth asking because... Knowing the nature of the Bundesliga and how Bayern Munich are, is they're very likely to come back stronger because of that next season. They will spend probably a lot of money. Maybe we'll see the first 100 million euro transfer from them and, and, and stuff like that. Um, do, do you think that uh, Dortmund now have to seize this moment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, no time like the present. Don't wait. Uh, you also can't forget, like you said, Bayern will come back this season, whether it's with Kovac or not. Uh, Tolisso will come back, I believe. You know, Thiago will be back. Coman will be back. And that already will be a completely different Bayern side um, versus what we just saw. That is maybe the saw. one caveat to this victory that Dortmund, uh, the Bayern were not at their best just because of the very yeah harmful injuries they have. But it's a caveat that Bayern would never give Dortmund in the past. So, you know, screw Bayern. Um, and you can't forget their other big matches. Like I said, still have to play against Gladbach, who I think will tail off. Um, Frankfurt, we, Dortmund didn't play Frankfurt when they were at their best. So they are getting better and better and better. I trust Frankfurt more than Gladbach to continue a challenge uh, for the top. Leipzig, they will play again. And Dortmund were very lucky against Leipzig the first go around, in my opinion. Uh, that was the first kind of nail biter. <laughs> and of course, we still have two Revier Derby ahead of us. And of course, you can't forget, even though Schalke are atrocious to watch, they are, they are, an, they are offensive to watch. They are that bad. They will try to shit house a result against Dortmund in this match. Cause if you watch like I did, Schalke against Frankfurt, the amount of times they were trying to appeal for a penalty in the hopes that the penalty will save their ass, even though they're playing like garbage, I'm glad it never worked against Frankfurt, because unfortunately it has worked more than once in the last two seasons. So there are still plenty of challenges ahead, of course, if there is still... Uh, the cup continuing on, fixture congestion from the, from the Champions League, but it is Dortmund's to lose at this point. They are in pole position. They are right now the best team in the Bundesliga and need to continue building up that momentum. And, uh, was it, I mean, I know you were quoting Lars, but it was, you know, the, the, the championships titles are won in, in August, in autumn, not August, <laughs> in autumn, uh, when you're playing against the minnows, the, 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 the slip up teams and stuff like that, the hatas. And that's really where the main challenges will come. This is just the icing on top of the cape because what it did for Dortmund, it catapulted them fully on as title contenders and it catapulted Bayern even further into misery. Uh, the only saving grace for Bayern is that they didn't lose 
four, five, six, two, which honestly they probably should have. Yeah, uh, there is a very good uh, point to be made that Dortmund, um, yeah, were really wasteful, more wasteful than Bayern, and uh, yeah, two tap and goals somehow missed. Um, so yeah, Rishi Kowalski asked, "Is Tedesco done? Uh, Tedesco done?" <laughs> Um, I don't think he is. I think he has enough credit for um, at Schalke because of his last season. But um, it's quite interesting to see Schalke stall as badly as they are because last season they won a lot of games with you know a very good defensive setup and then just having this one goal whatever. And the fifty-fifty games are not going in Schalke's direction this year. And they don't have as many 50-50 games because, as previously mentioned, there are more sides in the Bundesliga that are competitive and know what to do with the ball. So bad times for Schalke. And um, yeah, losing the very first games of the season, uh, very five first games of the season was also quite the miracle. So um, yeah, I think the the Tedesco hype at least is done. I don't know if the coach himself will be done, but it's it's quite incredible to see what a non-sporting development there is at at uh, Schalke right now. And I think Matthias, you already uh, found all the words there is to describe Schalke at this moment, at least. Um, so but we can't. I'll, I mean, along those points, they got twenty-seven set-piece goals last season. Twenty-seven. I mean, just think about that. That's incredible. Had they not gotten that or just half as much, they would have been a mid-table side. They would not have been second in the Bundesliga. And they are basically getting their comeuppance, so to speak, right now. And if they continue the results the way they are, I do believe Tedesco will be gone at the end of the season. And so will Heidel. I think he'll be gone because that means what was Heidel's first appointment was Weinziel. Um, we know how that ended. And with Tedesco, one good season, and now they're having an atrocious season. I mean, it may still turn around. They, you know, they may finish ninth. You never know. But, uh, yeah, I, I think they are now truly reflecting the style of play that they had where last season, I know for me and, and probably for you and many others where we just couldn't understand how they kept on winning those games. But they do also playing the way they did. Luck. Well, and they also had a few good players that they have not adequately replaced. Let's, I mean, if you let your best players go, if you let, uh, okay, Max Maya playing at Crystal Palace, but Tedesco got something out of Maya, Goretzka going, Tilokera going, and you don't really replace them, even close, like for like, you know, this is kind of what you get. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, so, Matthias, I know... Sometimes there's a time and a space for you to be a guy of schadenfreude. So I asked you, how much did you enjoy watching the 3-0 win of Frankfurt on Sunday night to maybe uh, put the cherry on top of that weekend? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I used to be a resident of Hessen. I uh, went to quite a few Eintracht Frankfurt matches back when they still played in the Zweite Bundesliga, believe it or not. Um and it was great to watch. Uh, it's, uh, I, I tweeted out after the match, I'm glad I was so dead wrong about Adi Hütte because I thought he was going to be one of the first to get sacked given how bad Frankfurt really started. And I just couldn't see how this squad would fit the Hütte system, who I credited a lot with what he did with Young Boys Band because unlike 
some people who say they watch Swiss football. I actually do because my wife is Swiss. Um, and I'm so happy to see him doing so well and this team playing so well. And, you know, we talk about the efficiency and how well Paco Alcacer is playing. The next striker that's really been impressing me this season is Luka Jovic. I mean, he is looking every bit the the wonder kid title he had for years he now under Adiotto. He's not the top scorer of the Bundesliga. Yeah, I mean, he's his finishing is also ice cold, and he's even younger. So uh, that was it was a fun it was a fun match to watch. I'm not gonna lie. All right, if 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 we are on the trend of Schadenfreude, um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but um, maybe take me through your emotional state when Robert Lewandowski scored the equalizer in the what was it ninety fourth minute or fifth minute of added time, and then looked to his right and saw that there was a linesman with the flag very much raised. Well, when he scored it, um, my kids learned some new words in German, um, and and my wife then yelled at me for teaching them some new words in German, um, and and I th I thought I was going to be sick to my stomach because I was like I couldn't can't believe it Dusselbayern do it again, uh, totally against the run of play somehow still scraping a point, and while I was cussing, my son just says upsides offsides and I go wait what and I look and sure enough and he wasn't even close I mean he was clearly offsides uh, despite him complaining because that's what Bayern players do no matter what they complain and so thankfully the right result happened but uh, yeah I, I I may have I may have inadvertently taught my kids some new German language well I'm sure at some point they will need that um But yeah, that was that was an incredible finish because I did not see from from my naked eye that he was offside. Obviously, on the replay, it's evident. There's zero discussion about it. But um, yeah, that would have been mightily unfair. Especially, I thought Dortmund did a really good job of running the clock off the last 20 minutes of this game, including the stoppage time. Um, I thought Dortmund did pretty well, also bringing in Delaney. And uh, still pressing, you know, we've seen Axel Witzel block a pass of, of Boateng very high up the field. It's not like Dortmund just, you know, completely set up around their own, you know, five-yard area and, and prayed to, to the Lords that there would not be a, a buying goal coming. But I thought they, they proactively, um, yeah, ran down the clock. I thought... Maybe a couple of more counterattacks could have uh, ended and killed it off. You know, I was waiting for the dagger because Dortmund have done it so often that didn't come. So, um, yeah, but nevertheless, a really good finish. Also, maybe just adding to the drama and ex excitement and uh, the advert for the Bundesliga in general. Um, that being said, I want to uh, thank uh, Manuel Grefe, the referee and his, his team for having a really good performance, I thought, even though uh, Ribery's wife clearly disagrees with that um on her instagram story apparently posting that she won't say anything because she doesn't want to be a build headline and with the next post she produced exactly that by uh, calling the referee performance disgusting um which i think takes some gall coming out of 
House Ribery. I don't know how you see that, Matthias. You're the uh, specialist on commenting commenting on these situations. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, given that Franck Ribery should have been sent off multiple times in key matches against Dortmund, um, and you can't forget that Dortmund got hosed in the Champions League final and a DFB Pokal final against Bayern because of bad refereeing, she needs to shut up. Um, you know, overall, he did well. Yeah, in the beginning, there was kind of that inkling, it's only a booking if you're a Dortmund player, but that pretty much evened out over the course of the match. You stayed calm and collect. Um, I'm just glad, you know, it's not like Manfred Stark or anybody like that anymore. Um, so, no, overall, yeah, good. He let the players play. He let it be a little bit more of a physical match, which uh, I think added to it. And a lot of times you just kind of tended to forget about the referee, which is exactly what you want from a referee. Yeah, correct. Uh, Miss Ribery, uh, bad judgment during Instagram stories and wedding vows. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Um, maybe maybe one final thing we need to uh, mention. Um, Mr. Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge got a brief beer shower. I don't know what exact moment it was maybe maybe uh during the winning goal when they were complaining about it being offside um that i don't know why became a big story um i i think there's anything to it uh you know if you're going into the stadium this is something that can happen <laughs> i've experienced it multiple times myself um so don't wear any clothes uh, you are you know want to wear the next day But, you know, it just added to the fun, I guess. And uh, maybe the stadium was actually the loudest, even though, you know, a lot of people had already left when uh, these two guys crossed the field in the end uh, from, from the west stand to the to the uh, media area on the on the east side or east stand um, because they were just booed and then whistled very loudly and Mark Royce pulled, <laughs> pulled the face. That was quite funny. So if you have Sky, please go and, and look at that if you haven't already. Um Matthias, is there anything left we need to um, include in, in this um, humdinger of a game? Because right now I can't think of anything, but I think there are still a couple of points you might want to make. For example, Lukas Piszczek having a really good performance. Yeah, I think Piszczek had a good performance overall. It was nice to see. Uh, I think there was also about a 5-10 minute spell in the second half uh, where I noticed all of a sudden Piszczek was on the left, Hakimi was on the right after Serge Gnabry was uh, substituted out. And I think, I don't know if that was Favre's intention in the sense of let's give Piszczek a little bit of a breather because obviously there was not a lot of pace coming over that side. I mean, you had Kimmich, but Renato Sanchez isn't really going to beat you for pace as a winger. And on the other side, you still had Alaba and Ribéry, and Hakimi did a good job there. They then swapped back to right and left, but that was just an interesting side note. And the other thing to note, um, you know, in the build-up to the match on Fox, they talked a lot about, we don't understand why Pulisic isn't playing, you want your best players playing in this match. And uh, during the course of the match, they said, oh, surely Pulisic has to come on from Brun Larsen, which obviously he didn't. Delaney came on for Brun Larsen for tactical reasons. I think that does... I, I'm not going to say you should be worried if you're a huge Christian Pulisic fan, but his form really isn't good in the last few weeks. So the international break, I think, is at a, at a right time for him. Obviously, he's going to play for the U.S., but um, or at least I think he will. 
but yeah, that that's another the the positives. There is that one little curiosity about Pulisic, his form, and then the question of, you know, where is he as far as attitude and headspace? Because sometimes when he has played in the last few weeks, he's seemed very frustrated and annoyed pretty quickly. So that's just something to keep an eye on, not to put a dampener on things, but obviously here coming in the from the US, we'll keep a little bit more an eye on, see how he does, and hopefully his form will pick back up. Yeah, I have another question on, on, on Pulisic, and maybe uh, we can take another two minutes to discuss it. At Ibratam23 asks, with the reports at the start of the season about Pulisic refusing to renew his contract and his not-bad-yet-not-great start of the season, do you guys think we'll cash in on Pulisic after this season? You know, that's a that's a tough question to answer. I think it depends on how the season goes. Uh, if, if Pulisic gets his form back and plays really, really well, I think, you know, the the whole Premier League rumors will, will fire back up, depending on who needs somebody and who moves where, you know, does Salah leave Liverpool? Would he go there? You know, I mean, there there's so many moving parts. Sancho obviously is going to be sticking around. I truly believe Brun Larson will stick around. Royce isn't going anywhere. Uh, Maximilian Philipp will play on the wings, hopefully a little bit more. Um, so... If there's an area of surplus, it could possibly be you could argue on the wings. So I wouldn't be shocked if Pulisic gets moved on, but it depends on how the rest of the season really goes for him. Yeah, the the thing is right now in the form he is, I it's it's a really difficult situation because Pulisic is is not really cutting the mustard right now at Dortmund. And if you don't, you know, excel and then try this big money move to the Premier League or whoever or wherever, um, then you will have overbearing expectations, which I don't think Pulisic will live up to, um, in, in his state right now. And this could be, you know, a complete crush to his career. Um, we've seen it many, many times with the young Teleton players trying to make the step before their time has come to do to make the step and um i fear for him because maybe a change of scenery can help him real you know reinvigorate the 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 form he is in right now but also i don't think he right now is is uh you know at the level to to play for the clubs that are you know one step above Dortmund right now so it's it's really tough one Uh, maybe even he has to go one step back before he can make two uh ahead but i just also think that this sort of player is how his overall mindset is and how his family i guess guides him um he will bounce back i'm i'm still very optimistic about that and and then we can maybe uh you know talk about Pulisic um taking the next step but right now he just needs to keep his head down and then wait for his moments and then take them i mean he already had a lot of good moments this season it's not like he's completely out of sorts it's just maybe these months he had a couple of injuries he had to to grapple with so um yeah i'm i'm not too pessimistic of course but it's it's definitely an issue that i think will uh, be part of uh, this show as the season goes on and um there was actually one last point i wanted to discuss with you and that's more about bayern than it is about dortmund because we have um talked about it at the very top of this show and we uh, talked about bayern 
eking out the best 30 minutes of their season, as Lucien Favre has also attested to them. Um, but that was the packed Westfalen Stadion. That was primetime football. That was all lights and spot on Bayern Munich. Um, do you think that they can recreate these performances more often now that they are trailing by seven points? Or do you think that they will actually not be able to do that against uh, less prestigious sides? Well, you know, I mean, it's still Bayern and even a B Bayern because this is a B Bayern without Thiago, Tolisso and Coman. It's a B Bayern. They're still better than the majority of clubs in the Bundesliga. I think uh, the test for them will come in the Champions League uh, for sure. If they continue playing poorly, they won't survive long there. And that will then end Kovac. I think they can they can almost deal with not winning the Bundesliga if they could make it to the semifinal or final of the Champions League. Um, but the current state and the rumblings and, I mean, even just talking about the Hummel situation and what Kovac said versus what Hummel said, I think they're going to tear themselves apart and up until the winter break. And I don't, I don't see this season ending well for Bayern for a Bayern level. Uh, do I see them not making the Champions League? No, I think they're going to make the Champions League. Um, but would it be as fourth versus second? I think that's a very real possibility. It may be a really tight one uh, if they continue down this this form, not necessarily playing-wise, but mentality-wise. And no, I don't think they're going to replicate the first 30 minutes or first half they had against Dortmund against another side um, that often. You see, if we want to end this on a positive note, Dortmund kicked Bayern down a well of misery they cannot crawl out of for the next two weeks because there is obviously the international break now and we all know how the circus around Bayern is. And I really do wonder what kind of drama will come out of the Bayern camp within just these two weeks. And um, then, of course, they play Düsseldorf and that's going to be an easy win. It doesn't matter how bad Bayern are, but that's just how it is for them. But... um Still, it's, you know, as you just said, they will tear themselves apart. And I'm very much here for that because um, the Bundesliga just needs, you know, Bayern playing at their very best is, is great and all, but uh, it's not really helpful for the sake of competitions. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, maybe healthy for Bayern themselves to just have a very self-destructing season as Dortmund just had and then look how uh, Dortmund rose from the ashes now and, and where they are at. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting to keep an eye on. And um, well, we, well, it's like you mentioned, it's good for the Bundesliga because also if other clubs, Leipzig, unfortunately, uh, Gladbach, uh, Frankfurt, and so on, are competitive, not just for the Champions League, but maybe even with an eye for the top spot, possibly, you never know, that means they can recruit better players, which in turn means there's more revenue coming into the Bundesliga, which means the quality of the play in the Bundesliga gets better, which makes the entire league more competitive. So there's there's more to it than just wishing somebody else can win the Bundesliga other than Bayern. It's a holistic approach to the top third in the entire league. If Bayern does poorly for a few seasons, that the quality gets better just because there's more money for other clubs to recruit other players and spread it out a little bit. At least that's my working theory at this point. No, no, it's, it's correct. There's more oxygen for, for others. And, um, may, maybe lastly, when, when we end the show, um, 
I mean, we've already talked about him a little bit, but um, I think now it's time to talk maybe for five more minutes or whatever about Lucien Favre and how he has, uh, as I just said, rebuilt the side from, from the ashes. And um, we have seen a Dortmund team very depleted of, of any sort of game plan. And um, I wish Lars was here because he's the one with the elephant brain. And he could now carefully recount how many times Favre has rectified a botched decision throughout the game. And, and, uh, he very much did so against Bayern. Um, so Matthias, do you think that this relationship between Favre and Dortmund will be a successful one as anyone could have hoped? Also, not just for this year, but for, for the coming years. What do you think, um, is 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 uh, growing together right now at Dortmund? Well, you know that's a, a difficult question um, because a I'm a huge I'm a big Favre fan in the sense of obviously he's Swiss. I have strong connections to Switzerland. Um, he, he actually reminds me a lot of my father-in-law, which is kind of interesting. Um, without the Swiss, uh, without the French Swiss accent, more with the Swiss German Swiss accent. If you throw that in there, um, but. And he's, he's likable, but he does, he does grind on teams and clubs. And, you know, you can't forget what happened at Hatta. Uh, you can't forget what happened at Gladbach where he just quit. He just left, uh, and left them in a lurch that they've only now kind of crawled out from under. And at Nice, kind of the same way, granted, Nice completely overperformed. I mean, we talk about Hatta under, overperforming under him and Gladbach overperforming Nice desperately overperformed under him. But I think this is a little bit different because this is the best quality squad he's ever had. It's the best infrastructure he's ever had. It's the best, you know, stadium, supporters, money, everything he's ever had in his entire career. And he's, what, 61? Um, but he's not going to be around forever. So, I mean, again, maybe in two, three, four years, he'll just be like, all right, I'm done. I'm retired. I've, you know, all right, I just want to go coach in Switzerland now. Uh, and, and have a chill end to my career. Uh, but I'm hoping it'll stick around because it's the most I've seen Lucien Favre smile. Granted, being undefeated in the Bundesliga will probably do that to most coaches. But uh, he just seems more relaxed overall, even though he does give a lot of non-answer press conferences. Uh, but sometimes that I think that's just down to language. Uh, but he's more, he seems just more jovial and relaxed overall than I've seen him in the other ones because yes, it's a rebuilding project, but it's nowhere near as audacious as what he had to do with Gladbach where they were dead and buried. I mean, dead on to go down. And I remember when they beat Klopp's Dortmund that season. <laughs> um, with Michael Man, that Weiss. was a slugfest. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And he's just a smart, cerebral coach who gets along with his players. I mean, he got Mario Balotelli to play well for him and like him. And that's Mario freaking Balotelli, who's a head case when it comes to that kind of stuff. And somehow he was able to get him to function at Nice. So I think it can go well for a few years, but then it just comes down to, you know, how Bayern respond and honestly, how much he still wants to do it when he's 63, 64, 65. Because I can tell you one thing, um, I'm, I'm going to be 41 soon. I, I wouldn't mind retiring by the time I'm 50, 55. Well, that's up to you, Matthias. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but 
another question for you is um you just said he he looks more relaxed um also on the sidelines um do you think that overall the style of football he's playing with Dortmund now I think there's a difference to whatever he did with Hertha with Gladbach and and with Nice I I think it's, it's obviously more attacking um do you think he is um you know taking risks And, and making certain decisions comes easier to him than it uh, would have done at other clubs. And maybe also is difference, for example, to, to Nico Kovac, who uh, yeah, is not as firm in his decisions as, as he should be. Um, do you think this is a massive advantage right now for Dortmund that they have Favre and a coach that uh, yeah makes certain decisions that just the way he is just from the point of how he conceives them? Well, I think so. I think, like I said, I mean, he's never had a club with as much talent, which, with as much depth. Can't forget that. Didn't have near as much talent depth where he was before. And the money and, re and the infrastructure. And I think he can finally play the type of football he always wants to play. He truly wants this. I think we're seeing the true Lucien Favre soul come out with the way it's done. I mean, he even said he's going to have, he had a glass of red wine after the Bayern match instead of, you know, water without gas. <laughs> And uh, I think the, you can really see that. Plus, you you can't forget he has the backing of the board who've, who wanted him really in, originally after Tuchel but couldn't get him. So he knows he has their confidence. The captain of the club loves him. Marco Reus loves Lucien Favre. That makes a huge difference when one of your senior players and arguably the best player in the club loves the coach. You will have a lot of backing that way. And he's winning over more and more and more players who he's making better around him. And plus there is also the Swiss connection, Akanji and, and Buki and so on. And then you juxtapose that with Kovac, where reports have it that Bayern didn't let him or didn't let him recruit the players he wanted. Um, he's not really allowed, I think, to coach tactically and implement tactically what he wants to do. I don't think he's really allowed freedom when it comes to squad selection decisions. I mean, yes, they are hampered by injuries. You can't forget that either. But at the same time, Kovac is in a very difficult position at, at Eintracht Frankfurt. You know, he had the leverage to screw up because it was Frankfurt. You really didn't expect them to do as well as they did under him to win a cup, to make it to Europe, all that kind of stuff. So if they lost a few matches, it was like, oh, you're a mid table side. It can happen. Let him experiment with Bayern. If you don't win a match, you're losing a match in that sense, from their mentality. And that's a huge difference. And you really need to be someone like Pep Guardiola, who has the huge resume to do it, and the arrogance to not care what anybody thinks. Or Yopinkas, who's won the frickin' treble, um, and before Pep Guardiola showed up, and really walks in with an air of authority and trust from the top of the club all the way to the bottom. And Kovac just just doesn't have that. And I really feel bad for the guy because I think he's a really good coach. He's just in a bad situation. Yeah, I would agree with you there. So, um, yep, that's a, that's a good uh, parallel, I guess, between the two coaches and, and their respective spots right now. And, um, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what, what Favre will do going on because he is the, 
making a couple of changes, although he has found his, his core 11, let's, let's put it this way, or is his general approach. But, um, yeah, he has already, you know, said at the press conference, there's so much more stuff to learn and so many details that improve that, you know, it's basically forbidden to speak about the title race because he, I think, doesn't think Dortmund are there yet, maybe. Um, at least in, in his mind. And, um, this is very, very, um, helpful because if you remember the other title winning seasons and a certain year club, um, nobody was allowed to say the M word, the Meisterschaft word, um, either. And it's the same with Lucien Favre. And I, I think this, this picture tweeted out by Borussia Dortmund, um, where the team was celebrating in the locker room very loudly and uh, he's standing next to it, holding his ears, sort of uh, sums it all up in a very uh, charming way, as I think he is. So, but I mean, he's right. Uh, we, I, I don't think we mentioned it, but Hakimi standing like eight meters away from, uh, from, uh, who was it who crossed it in Serge Gnabry, I think, for Lewandowski's first goal, um, was just, uh, atrocious. Brun Larsen who didn't cover himself. In glory there, and I think Mahmoud Daoud also had like a was was rooted when uh, Bayern scored their second. So yes, defensively there are still some things to sort out, but um, I think this is to me still the most positive thing, and and maybe also the the the, the takeaway to to end it on Dortmund just slaughtered Bayern, really deserved winners. Bayern look like they're going to wither even more, and and Dortmund, uh, yeah still have so much room for improvement that it's just crazy. So, Matthias, with that, I want to end this show, unless you have any final words. No, no, I think I'm good. Time to go outside and play in the snow. <laughs> All right, Mr. Colorado man. Um, then you can tell our listeners how to get in touch with you for any uh, critique, hate mail. Or <laughs> I don't think I'll... Feedback. I don't think... I don't think I'll get any hate mail unless there are Bayon supporters listening, which I highly doubt after that match. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. That's M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S-S-U-U-C-K. And you can find me, and I won't spell it, <laughs> at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find my work on ESPNFC. You can get in touch with all of us. On yellowwallpod.com, our Twitter and Facebook handles are also yellowwallpod. And I still want to encourage everyone when there's another game, you can predict it. And then I will send you one of our match day flyers um, to you, which uh, I think is very nice of me. But uh, it's also a cool game. These things are given out and handed out for free at the stadium. So why not? Um, if you want to contribute financially and support us, then please go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall. You can still uh, support us uh, with 15 bucks or more and get a stadium cup. That's maybe also nice to drink out of um, if you want to go there. I think we still have Marco Royce and Christian Pulisic. Yes, and one uh, that uh, says Borussia verbindet against Rassismus in German. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's all from our now more than one and a half hour long episode Matthias once again for coming on and uh, spending all this time with me discussing this uh, very epic game and that should be it until next week where we will answer more listener questions and preview the Minds game goodbye